So how are you doing out there? I don't have my glasses on, but you look good. You know, to the world, it's all about looking good. It's all about staying youthful. But in the eyes of the Lord, some of us might not be much to look at, but what he's put in us and the spirit of God in us, come on. We're beautiful in the eyes of the Lord. I want to tell you something. When you're worshiping God, that's the best looking you get. So, so worship the Lord, amen. Sometimes I open my eyes and look out there, and I'm like, wow. No place I'd rather be, man. As the days get darker, I just enjoy being with the saints more than anything else. So we are in Psalm 91. Um, my Bible's open to John chapter 2. That's for Sunday. <laughs> so I'm going to get to Psalm 91 here, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. Let's thank God for the word first, and then let's enjoy it together. Father, we just thank you for this psalm of protection that you have embedded in your word. Father, we thank you for all the implications of it that stir up our faith and our confidence in you. Father, I pray tonight as we unwrap and unpack and just dissect all of the truth and the principles and the gems that you've hidden in there for those who seek you beyond the superficial, for those who seek you with all their hearts. Father, I pray by the Holy Spirit that each of us would get a deposit from the Father's heart from these verses and we'd go home encouraged and stretched and excited about being a child of God and serving the purpose of God and having the protection of God over our lives. Father, let us not just be hearers only, but let us be doers of the word. Father, in between hearing and doing, we've got to believe it. So stir up our faith tonight. I ask it in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Psalm 91, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions or feathers and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or the arrow that flies by day or the pestilence that stalks in darkness. Come on, there's nothing to be afraid of out there. Not COVID, not the flu, not cancer, not any devil, come on. Or the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look with your eyes and see the destruction or the recompense of the wicked. Here are our verses for tonight. For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. And they will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against the stone. Let's just stop there tonight. Verses 9 through 12 are our target verses. Now that you heard them, I want you to close your eyes. I'm going to read them to you one more time, and we're going to jump in. For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your dwelling. For he will give his angels charge over you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. Verse 9 is a reminder, as with everything in the spiritual realm, that the next two promises 
are built on a foundation of relationship. You know, I've been around religion all my life. I've been around religious people, and lately I've been around some religious people in religious systems, and I realize religion is all about ceremony and duty and uh, ordinances and rituals, but it's devoid of relationship. Without relationship, we have no claim to the promises of Psalm 91. Without relationship, really, we're on the outside looking in. This is a psalm of protection that's supposed to give us boldness when we're in harm's way. But listen to me, without a relationship, you should be, a sca- you should be afraid. I was going to say, you should be a scared. <laughs> because, you know, I mean, I see people, and, you know, have you ever seen that person? They, they, they're not serving God. They don't believe in the Bible. They're just, you know, doing their thing. They got one foot in hell and the other foot on a banana peel. And they're just fat, dumb, and happy, and they don't realize they're on the precipice of eternal destruction. Come on, a lot of us were that way for years. I remember realizing when I got to the place where I realized I was lost and I needed a Savior, I was shocked. That all those years, if, if my life would have ended or my heart would have stopped or if, if it was all over, I would have went into eternity without Jesus. These promises, verse 9, all of what's in here is built on relationship. For you have made the Lord my refuge. So the psalmist is saying, he's mine. You know, I got a relationship with him. Even the Most High, your dwelling place. When God becomes our dwelling place, it's out of relationship that we dwell in him and he dwells in us. And there's a unity there that no devil in hell, no situation on earth, no circumstance, no doctor's report can pull apart. Come on, amen. It's relationship. Now, our connection to the promises of God only come through relationship, and they only come through relationship with Jesus. Now, I know you know all this, but we need to be reminded of it because it's our relationship with Jesus that we should revel in because the promises and the protection and the blessing of God come that way. Don't ever think for a minute it's because you're obedient or because, you know, you read a lot of your Bible this week or you came to church twice in one week. Woo! Wednesday night, we can start to get an attitude. We're two times a week Christians. Don't do that and think, you know, God, you got to bless me now. Look at all. I did my devotions every day this week. It was a record for me. You know, come on, Lord. You got to bless me. And we should never think that it's the performance that brings the blessing. It's the relationship. Amen. So this provokes three questions here. Is the Lord your dwelling place? Well, here are the three questions. Number one, if the Lord's going to be your dwelling place, number one, you've got to be born again. Nobody's excited about that, that you were born again Christians. Any, anybody born again? You can be born once of water and spirit. What's the water birth? When we're in our mother's womb, we're in amniotic fluid. We're floating around in the water. When the water breaks, the baby comes. We're born of water. That's a natural birth. But we've got to be born again. We've got to be born of spirit. There's plenty of people who are born of water, but they don't have a relationship with Christ. So what? They're, you know, they're, they're, in their original sin, and they're in the flesh, and they're disconnected from God. But once that spiritual birth takes place and we become born again, now we're alive in Christ. And people say, well, I don't want to become a Christian because it's no fun. Listen, you're not even living yet until you come to Jesus. You're not even living yet. 
The theological term for it is regeneration. When we're born in our original sin, without Christ, we are dead spiritually. We have a body, a soul, and a spirit, but our spirit is dormant. That spirit only comes alive when we are born again. So are these promises in Psalm 91 for you? Well, you've got to be born again. In John 3, 5, Jesus made it clear that we need those two births. Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say unto you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. In John 3, 6 through 8, he explains why. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. So if we're going to have these promises, it's got to come through a genuine relationship. We've got to be born again. Number two, the second way that we acquire these promises is this. We have to ask ourselves, what's our current spiritual temperature? I want you to say the word current. That's an important caveat here. The current temperature of our spiritual walk will definitely affect how we can expect to see the outworking of God's promises in our lives. Notice I keep saying current because it's so very possible for us to become spiritual has-beens. You got to hear this. Well, I got saved a million years ago, and I was at the altar, and I was crying, and the Holy Spirit touched me, and then there was a little honeymoon period, and I really was in love with the Lord, and I liked going to church, and I liked the people at the church, and I tolerated the pastor at the church, but... You see, that when that honeymoon period is over, sometimes people cool off. And so our current spiritual temperature uh, shows us how much we can expect the promise of, of God to touch our life. Listen, if all our spiritual growth and all our spiritual works and all our spiritual exploits and all our spiritual efforts and accomplishments have happened in the distant past, we are in trouble. Spiritual has been. Well, I used to do this, and I used to do that. You know, used to Christians, I used to serve on the worship team. I used to serve in child ministry. I used to come to church more than once a month. I used to. Now, I know you're the Wednesday night meat eaters club. You're black belt level two time a week Christians. So we're talking about all the people who aren't here tonight. But the truth is, it's very easy for us to cool off. And the truth is we can still be going through the motions. We could still be in church. We could still be reading the Bible. You know, anytime we come to a situation where we're doing things out of routine and not out of faith, we're in trouble. When I come up to give my offering and, and I just throw, you know, what I calculated I want to give in there, but there's no heart-to-heart connection, there's no thankfulness, there's no acknowledgement that God is my source and I'm just going through the motions, I'm in trouble. When I open the Bible and I have to read my, you know, 2.5 chapters to get through the book of this and get my year Bible done, and and I'm just, you know, I I finished the course, but I I never communed with the Holy Spirit. I'm in trouble. Do you see how things can become routine? So are you born again, but what's your spiritual temperature? We must ask the Holy Spirit to show us where we fall in the spectrum of Revelation 3. Listen to Revelation 3, 15 through 19. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot, so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. 
because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Wow. You say, who's God talking to? Who's Jesus talking to? The world, right? No, he's talking to the church. And he's saying, you think you're one thing, but you're another. Why? Because you're going through the motions, and you're not hot for me anymore. You've gotten cold, and now you're lukewarm. And and it's graphic there. What he says, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Whoa, Jesus, take it easy. Jesus never read, read that book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Jesus never took an anger management class. He just tells it like it is. And sometimes we need to evaluate our spiritual temperature. Are we uh, spiritual has-beens of all our uh, growth and faith and exploits? Are they in the past? If so, we're in trouble. And we need to look at Revelation 3 and allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to us what condition we're in. Look, if you're lukewarm, it's okay. He can make you hot again. If you're cold, it's okay. He can make you hot again, amen. But we've got to repent. You see, the answer is repentance. Not just continuing to go through the motions. Well, I'll try harder. I'll I'll do more works. These are the tricks that the enemy uses on the saints. Number three, the third question that verse nine provokes is this. Are you born again? What's your current spiritual temperature? Number three, are you producing good fruit? Uh, Matthew 7 tells us that the spiritual fruit we produce is much like our blood work in the natural. You know, you can pretend you're healthy. You can pretend you're in shape. You know, you can suck it in or wear Spanx or whatever you do. You can get yourself a girdle and tighten it down. But when you go to the doctor and he draws your blood, the jig is up, baby, because that blood work is going to tell everything of what's going on inside you. Your blood sugar, your, your triglycerides, your LDL, your cholesterol, all of that stuff. Man, you can't just smile and grin and say, oh, I'm good. The doctor's looking. I've been to the doctor when he looked at my blood work, and I had to minister to him because he was so excited about me. But the fruit that we produce is like our blood work in the natural. There's no denying what's the production of our life. You know, when the doctor looks at that, blood, he's going to tell you what you need to do. All the bad food, all the lack of exercise, all the binge eating, all the the lack of sleep, it catches up with us in the natural, and things catch up with us in the spiritual realm too. Galatians 5 gives us a clear outline of the things we should be producing. Galatians 5 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such there is no law. Now, if that sounds like the output of your life, then you're, you're good. You know, is it love? Is it joy? Is it peace? You know, do I have patience and trials? Am I kind? Am I good? Am I faithful? Am I gentle? Do I have self-control? We all look sad right now because in that list, 
you know, some of those areas we're going to have to admit, you know, I'm struggling or I'm not producing that. Or, you know, instead of love, I'm angry all the time. Instead of joy, I'm worried all the time. Instead of peace, you know, I'm overwhelmed. Instead of long-suffering, I want everything solved for me now. Matthew 7, 16 through 20 says, You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bare fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. So what's the output of our life? What are we producing? Do we have more flesh than spirit? We need to address that. Again, what's the answer for this? The answer is repentance. But these are the things that allow us to expect and rest on the promises of Psalm 91. They allow us to believe for uh, verse 9 that we have a relationship with Jesus. We're born again. Spiritually, we're staying hot. We're not lukewarm. And that we're producing good fruit. Someone say amen. Now, that was probably enough. We could probably go home right now, but I got more. So if we, like the psalmist, make God our refuge and dwelling place, we can then believe him for these two promises. And the the verse continues here. So the Lord is our, our dwelling place, just like the psalmist. Verse 10 says, no evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your dwelling place. So, uh, or, or some versions say tent. Let's take a look at that. No evil shall befall you. Now, how many think that's a good promise? How many realize we live in an evil world? There's a lot of people who are in fantasy la-la land and think if we all just throw out all our weapons and disarm all our military and bury all the nuclear weapons and just sing kumbaya with everybody. There'll be no war and we'll just have peace forever. And I want, I'm here to tell you I wish that were true. But the truth is there's evil in the world. And this promise that no evil shall befall you is interesting and it's important that we understand the implications of it. Certainly this promise insulates us from living in the constant fear of what the devil is planning to ambush us with next. You know, there are people walk around, you know, and they get waylaid by the enemy. They're Christians, and, you know, they, they get caught into a mess. They get trapped in sin, and it's embarrassing, and it's a struggle. And all of a sudden, they're like, they're more concerned about, where's the devil coming at me next than focusing on Jesus? This promise is, for us so that we don't have to worry, oh, what's hell planted against me now? Well, how's he going to come at me? Wait a minute, I had a good day. I should be on my guard. Uh-oh, I feel joy. I better watch out. It's coming. Come on, have you ever felt like that? Now, there's a level of spiritual readiness that all of us need to have, but we are not to live in terror of the enemy. We are not to focus on the devil and the kingdom of darkness and what he's plotting against us. Now, is he plotting something against every one of us? Absolutely. But the word says here that no evil shall befall us. So we don't have to walk around anxious about it. Now, yes, we deal with difficulties. Yes, the evil in this world touches the church at times. God doesn't, uh, you know, insulate us completely from it. But understand something. He says that it will not prevail against us. This is important that you understand it. It's not that nothing bad's ever going to happen. Bad stuff happens to Christians. 
but you know what? Does the evil prevail against him in the end? Absolutely not. God accomplishes this promise in two ways. Number one, he uses the difficulties that the enemy brings against us to perfect us. You see, oh, I went through this hard situation. I went, I dealt with a difficult person. I I got abused. I got misused. I, I got taken advantage of. Yeah, that was evil. But now watch God use that to produce tenacity and wisdom in you, in your life. Amen. That abuser, that user, that person who exploited you, they're not the end of the story. God is about to take what they did to you and and use it for his glory in your life that you can help other people that are broken and hurting. So God turns it around. No evil shall befall you. Yes, we go through hard stuff, but, you know, it's not going to, it's not going to, you know, it's not going to have its way. It's not going to be the end result here. Listen to Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. Do you believe that? Amen. It was bad. It was ugly. It was evil. This person did X, Y, and Z. But listen, God's going to produce something good out of it. Psalm 138.8, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the works of your hands. Where is workmanship? He's not going to let any demon or any devil or any person destroy his workmanship. You believe that tonight? So no evil shall befall us. The first way God accomplishes that is that he uses the evil the enemy brings against us to perfect us. Isn't that a beautiful thing? How many have seen that in their own lives? Amen. Let's give God some praise for that. Number two He doesn't allow any of the devil's plans to succeed against us. Now, listen to this. Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. So no weapon formed against us is going to prosper. Now, listen, it didn't say that we're not going to be attacked. Tracking with me? It didn't say that the enemy wouldn't bring weapons to bear against us. It didn't say that he wouldn't try to ambush us, trip us, trick us, and deceive us at every turn. It said in all that he does, in all that he brings, in all how he comes at us, in the end, it would not prevail against us. The weapon would be used, but it's not going to prosper. Are you getting this? Look, you're going to go through stuff. I'm going to go through stuff, but evil is not going to prevail in our lives. It's not. And the end result, the end result is that you and I are going to be in the presence of God forever. That's, that's settled and done. So all the enemy brings, all the weapons, all the strategies, all the traps, all the tricks, they're all going to amount to zero because he's a zero, amen? Come on. Oh, Wednesday night, get the jumper cables out, Hallelujah. Doesn't say we won't be attacked. It just says that the weapon won't prosper against us. It won't prevail. So God uses the evil that we face and the tough circumstances we face to perfect us. And then in the end, everything the enemy brings against us will not prevail. So it's going to amount to zero. So don't worry about it. Forget about it. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Oh, what's the devil up to? I could care less what he's doing. And so should you. 
So the next part of it says here, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling place. Now, a lot of people misunderstand the implications of this promise, and I hope to clear that up for us tonight. In fact, as I begin to study this, I learned a few things about the implications of what's said here. And listen, if we don't know what this means and how to apply it correctly to our lives, it can create some serious confusion and disappointment in God's people. See, when God's people read this at face value and say, well, no plague will come nor my dwelling place, and then they say, well, why did I get COVID? And then was God unfaithful? And I want to dig into this here, you know, because we need to understand what our dwelling place is. So understand this. You and I who are mature in the Lord know the reality that pain and sickness touch the people of God. Now, I believe in divine healing. I think it's a promise that's given to us through Jesus Christ. Uh, We pray for healing. We've seen people healed here countless amount of times. I'm not saying that God doesn't heal. God heals, but we go through some stuff sometimes. Amen? And understand, that's that evil that the enemy brings against us. It's not going to produce anything in the end. But, you know, when we read this, no plague will come nigh your dwelling place. That means, you know, nothing bad's ever going to happen to us. No, we who are matured know that that's not the proper outworking of Scripture, nor is it reality. So this text isn't saying that we can expect to live a trouble-free life and that we'll never have any hardship or sickness. it's, It's saying that the troubles and the sorrows and the afflictions that we do face will never follow us into our dwelling place. Now, now track with me here. We just learned in this text what our dwelling place is. Is our dwelling place our house? No. Oh, well, there was sickness in my house, or there was, you know, my finances, my my, my house. your, Your house that you live in is not your dwelling place. Now, I know when Israel put the blood over the doorpost that God protected their literal dwelling place, but that was a different application. Our our house is not our dwelling place. How about our bodies? Is our body our dwelling place? No, these are temporary tents. Some people have a three-man tent, four-man tent, two-family tent, but it's just a tent. You're going to leave it behind. You're not taking your tent with you, amen? This is just your earth suit, okay? Paul says, who will deliver me from this body of sin? Paul was looking forward to getting out of it. Why? Because inherent with the flesh, there's weakness and there's, there's you know, this propensity to, to sin and there's this affinity for, you know, things that are ungodly. Come on. So our house is not our dwelling place. Uh, you know, so sometimes we might have sickness there. Our, our bodies are not our dwelling place. Sometimes we might have sickness there. We might have trouble there. But our dwelling place is God. It's what the psalm taught us. See, so now when someone reads that and goes, you know, no plague shall come near my home or my body. That's not what it says. It says it won't come near your dwelling place. We have a dwelling place in God, and that's what this is all about. Nothing that afflicts us in this life or afflicts our body is going to follow us into God's heaven for eternity. That's it right there. Look, there's going to be no sick people in heaven. There's going to be nobody in wheelchairs. There's going to be nobody wearing COVID masks in heaven. Come on. Why? Because our dwelling place is God, and none of these afflictions are able to follow us from this life into the next. That's how nothing, listen, we got to focus on God and stop focusing on our homes and our bodies and our stuff and our thing. Come on. Get this tonight. Oh, I got sick and I died. Yeah, and you went to be with Jesus forever. And guess what? When you got there, you weren't sick. All right, I'm done. I'm done. I'm moving on. 
So whatever afflicts us in this life can never follow us into eternity. God is our dwelling place. And when we hide ourselves in him, the things that plague us and attack us and distract us can never follow us into his presence. They can never follow us into the next life. You're going to struggle with things. Many of the afflictions of the righteous, but the God, he delivers us from all of them. How? When we shed this tent and we go to be in his presence because he's our dwelling place. All right. I got two more verses for you. So we're going to shift gears here a little bit tonight. We're going to talk about the next layer of divine protection in our lives. In verse 11 and 12, talk about angels. For he will give his angels charge over thee to guard you in all your ways. For they will bear you up in their hands that you will not strike or dash your foot against the stone. So let's Let's shift gears a little bit from relationship and the fact that we have divine protection and promises and that God is our dwelling place and we shouldn't focus on the flesh or earthly things too much. And let's talk about this next layer of protection, which is the angelic protection that all of God's children enjoy. All of us who are born again and in a relationship with Jesus Christ have angels ministering to us, covering us, directing us, and guarding us. That's a good place to not just murmur, but to actually say amen. Because you know what? We need them because hell has demons assigned to us to unravel us and distract us and deceive us and trip us. But God has put his holy angels around us. Look what it says here. For he will give his angels charge concerning you. What? They guard you in all your ways. They'll bear you up that you don't strike your foot against the stone. We're, we're going to unpack that a little bit because it's important that we understand it. Uh, this... You know, the fact that you and I have angels assigned to us as individuals, it's not just, you know, there's one angel for the church and we're all on the directory and he runs around from one person to the next. I hope there's not a lot of trouble today. I got a lot, there's a lot of people here. No, <laughs> all of us have angels assigned to us. I wish that God would open our eyes that we could see into the spiritual realm and you could see what's going on. I had an evangelist come here one time and he, you know, he said something to me. Uh, he said, um, when he pulled up in the parking lot, I met him at the door. I came out of my office and met him. And he said to me, is your, is your office in that back corner over there? And I said, yeah. And he said, wow, as I pulled up, I saw angels, large angels just brooding over that corner of the building. Cool. I don't care if you like it or not. I'm excited. I'm going to get a little excited, get a little cocky. I got angels. You got angels too. And they're around you and they protect us and they, they, they do certain things for us. So I want you to understand this in the way, the same way that elected officials who get elected to high office have personal security details uh, protecting them. The same way, you know, our presidents have, you know, uh, the security details and the secret service. Even after they retire, they have protection around them. You say, well, that's expensive. Why do we do that? Because they're important. Because they're, if anything happens to them or anyone snatches them up, they know things that would become a risk to national security. So we protect them. Now, I know, you know, we complain about leadership and politics and all this stuff, but understand something. We are important too, and God protects us in much the same way, amen? He sends angels, not secret service, not guys with black glasses and earpieces, no, angels to protect us. Why? Because we're important to God. And because, you know, the, the reason that presidents and senators and all this get these 
protection details is because their lives are actually at risk. You know, hell is not playing games. Hell is playing for keeps. And if it were possible, the enemy would snatch all of our souls away. But God keeps us by his keeping power, and he assigns his angels to do his bidding in keeping us. So it says in verse 11 that the angels will have charge over us. What does that mean? It means that they are responsible for us, that they have a duty to protect us from the schemes of the enemy. What, you think you got it all by yourself? You don't need any help? No, I'm good. I got it. I memorized a lot of verses. I got a good church. You know, I sing worship music, mostly in key. I'm good. No, we need help. We need protection. Do you know, I heard a preacher say one time, if you stand toe-to-toe with the devil, the devil will show you who you ain't. Because he's smarter than us. He knows scripture better than us. He knows all of our weaknesses. He's been studying us. Hello, Wednesday night. We need help. And we're not alone. We sang that tonight. We are not alone. And Kelly mentioned angels while, while, you know, she gets into my notes up here sometimes and when she's encouraging you. And understand something. Yeah, we got angels protecting us. They're assigned to us. They have charge over us. These angels are eternal beings created by God to be ministering spirits. They're not like humans. They're they're different. They're created different than us. Uh, They are ministering spirits, and they serve God and his purposes in his children. So God takes them, and he assigns them to us. That's why it says he shall give his angels charge over us. They're his angels. He dispatches them to us, and they protect the deposit of God in our lives. Amen. So look at the scope of their job description, to keep you in all your ways. That sounds pretty comprehensive, doesn't it? If this was insurance, I like this plan already. People joke that they're, you know, I've heard people joke that their guardian angels quit or their guardian angels asked to be reassigned or their guardian angel had a nervous breakdown or has developed a drinking problem. Have you heard these things? Come on. You never heard that? You need to get out more. Okay. Yeah, people say stuff like that. Oh, my guardian angel, you know. You know, listen to me. They can handle their job. You and I are not so bad or so foolish or, I said foolish, or, or dumb. Let's say dumb. You know, we make dumb decisions. We, 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 make, we do dumb things. And you think, oh, well, my angel can't. The angels can handle their job. They were designed to be ministering spirits to cover us, to protect us. You know, we're not going to give them a nervous breakdown. We're not going to give them an anxiety attack. No, the angels know exactly what they're doing. They're mighty. They're not weak. Listen to me. They are powerful. They're more powerful than the kingdom of darkness. When you study the classifications of angels, you know, their description is both breathtaking and awesome. When you think of, you know, uh, these archangels that, you know, are going to blow trumpets, Gabriel and Michael. It's just an incredible study in, in the majesty and the power of God. But these angels are no joke, and they can do their job, and they're going to protect the deposit of God in all of our lives. So verse 12 gives us a few details here about what angels actually do for us. So we can see, if we could see into the angelic realm, you know, for just a little bit here, God wants us to know 
a little bit about what they do. And I'm going to talk about the fact that we shouldn't get so focused on angels in just a minute, but let's, let's see what they do. Verse 12, they will bear you up in their hands and you will not strike your foot against a stone. Let's, let's take a look at what that means to us. These are things that they do. The concept of a believer having guardian angels is biblical. We know that. But we should not, you know, we should not be fascinated with angels too much. We understand what they do. They have charge over us. They keep us in all our ways. But, you know, they're, they're protecting the deposit of God in us. But we should not be so fascinated with angels. We should never pray to an angel. And we should not even ask angels for their help. Oh, angels of heaven, help me. They're not your angels. You don't command them. They're God's angels. Oh, let me pray to my guardian. Don't you do that. In fact, in Scripture, when the prophet saw an angel, he bowed down to worship, and the angel said, whoa, 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 get up. You know, you don't do that to me. Uh, I minister on his behalf. All worship goes to God. So we don't pray to angels. We don't ask angels for their help. Uh, we shouldn't get so fascinated with them. There are people that I've heard people say in the New Age nonsense that passes for spirituality. I've heard someone say that they believe in angels, but not in God. Yeah, it was Meg Ryan, I remember. It was a quote from Meg Ryan. She said, I believe in angels, but not in God. How, you know, how do you have, you know, the chicken and the egg thing, Meg? No. Where do they come from? They're ministering spirits. So people believe a lot of goofy things, and they get into this stuff, and it's, it's new agey. Have you, have you noticed any of this out there? Okay, so some of you do get out a little bit. I just see what's going on. So, you know, understand this. We don't pray to them. We aren't fascinated with them. We don't ask for their help. We don't try and interact with them. No, they are not our mediator. They are not our advocate. We have one advocate. His name is Jesus Christ. Amen. You and I don't pray to saints. We don't pray to people. We don't pray to angels. We pray to Jesus. He's our advocate. Amen. And understand, you know, there's a lot of spirituality and, and false religion and, and religiosity that, you know, oh, let's pray to the angel, let's pray to this person, let's pray to Saint so-and-so, the, you know, whatever. Listen, Jesus is our advocate, 1 Timothy 2.5, for there is one mediator between God and man, and that man is Christ Jesus. So, you know, we have these angels, do we have to interact with them, think about them, ask for them. No, we just enjoy the protection, and it's a blessing from God. Amen. Verse 12 tells us they do two things. I alluded to this. Let's see what they do. Angels hold us up and sustain us through seasons of trial and tribulation that are beyond human endurance. It says, in their hands they shall bear you up. You know, you know those days where you feel like, you know, you, you're not making it. You can't go one more step and somehow, some way. Did you ever say, how did I get through that? Uh, there's been seasons in my life, my wife and I talked about this, that we went through just to be in ministry, just to stay where God had called us to, that we look back and go, you know what? How did we get through that? I got to be honest with you. I think if I had to do it again, I don't know if I could have done it. And we look at all that we've been through, all the attacks, all the persecution, all the resistance. Well, how did I make it? I must be tough. No, the angels were bearing us up. The angels of God were bearing us up, protecting the purpose and the calling and the anointing of God in our lives. 
you don't think you just schlepped your way through it and got here all by yourself, do you? No. The angels are holding you up. They are bearing you up. I've looked back many times and don't know how I made it through that situation, but you know what? I know that it was God and his angels, one step after another, Jesus carrying me at times. The second thing I want to cover from verse 12 as we finish up tonight is that angels are the hands of God directing and protecting us. Look, it says, least you dash your foot against a stone. How do you keep from, you know, kicking bricks, hitting stones, tripping? How? Because they direct our paths. They have the purposes of God programmed in them as their assignment. And so they, what they keep us from uh, tripping and falling and, 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 and wandering into sin, getting into trouble. And, you know, how many times, you know, has God protected us? Has God kept us from sin or kept us from evil or kept us from the intentions of evil people? We don't think that was a, a, a coincidence or an accident, do we? It was the divine protection of the holy angels of God directing our paths and keeping us safe. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot upon a stone. Now, in this book here, Psalm 91, God's Shield of Protection, uh, the military version here that was given to me, uh, there's a story in here about the angelic protection that has been displayed uh, in the life of soldiers throughout history. If you, if you study Israel's history, if you even study Israel's modern history, there are times on the battlefield that people have literally seen angels intervening in battles. If you study the Six-Day War in Israel, there are accounts from so many soldiers how, you know, they saw angels visibly intervening. Now, you may or may not believe that, but, you know, there's tons of eyewitnesses accounts, not from cuckoo people who, you know, say that they get abducted by aliens every other weekend but from legitimate people. Now, listen to this. Here's, a, here's an account here that I want you to listen to. Several famous writers, including C.S. Lewis, have alluded to the Battle of Mons in Belgium during World War II, where a great number of British soldiers reported having seen what they call an intervention by angels who came to their aid against a, the Germans in August 1914. According to the reports of these soldiers, this angelic assistant could not have come at a better moment, for they were being overrun by persistent German advances. A similar version of the Mon story was told by German prisoners that day, who described what they call an army of ghosts armed with bows and arrows, led by a very tall figure on a white horse who urged the English troops to go forward. Many diaries and letters show that by 1915, the British command had accepted the belief that the supernatural event had occurred. Indeed, it had taken place. Mil military historians who have studied this Belgian battle scene have enthusiastically incorporated the appearance of the angels of Mons into their writings. In another account of the Battle of Mons, some cold stream guards who were the last to withdraw became lost in the moral forest and had and had dug in for their last stand. An angel appeared to them and led them across an open field into Ludens, a, a hidden sunken road, which enabled them to escape. Truly, the English have a long history of linking angels to their military history. You know, there are other examples of Israel, and there are other uh, accounts 
uh, there are a lot of them, actually. If you want to research some of it, you say, well, you know, do, do, you, do you believe that? I believe that. And I know God intervenes. I know God intervenes in man's affairs, amen. He's not, a, he's not an impartial God, amen. And his angels are there. You say, why were they visible in this instance? I, I have no idea, but I would have liked to have seen it, amen. I've told stories about angelic protection over people's lives and you know, I believe that it's real. And I know you say, well, should we focus on it? Should we get fascinated by it? No, we should just be thankful that whether we see it or not, God is protecting us with his holy angels. Amen. So we're going to stop there for tonight. Let's bow our heads. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for Psalm 91, this psalm that promises us divine protection. Father, we pray uh, Lord, that we would be able to see the promises here in our lives. And we know that that's by relationship. So, Father, uh, each of us, Lord, that have a relationship with you, coming into uh, a relationship through being born again and uh, producing fruit in our lives and having, you know, a, a state of readiness in our lives so that we're not cold, but we're not lukewarm, but we're hot. Father, if we're, if we're lukewarm, I know the Laodicean church is the last day's church. There's a lot of lukewarm out there. Father, there's probably some lukewarm in all of us. So, Father, we repent. We repent, Lord, for being distracted by the things of this world and neglecting the incredible relationship you offer us. So, Father, if there's any lukewarm or there's any cold, Turn it into hot, we pray. Help us to be thankful for your hand upon our lives, for your divine protection that comes through relationship, for the angels that you have placed around us to protect the deposit of God in each of our lives. Each of us are important to you. You've sacrificed so much in your son Jesus for us. and We're thankful that you protect us with your keeping power. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Give him praise tonight.